Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. It's Mike Opelka sitting in for my friend Buck Sexton. Buck will be here tomorrow, and again, I will be here tonight, again, live at 7 p.m. with the one-hour pregame show as we lead up to President Trump's first Supreme Court nomination of what I have boldly projected to be at least three in the first four years of this term. Uh, Joining me right now, and we've got a busy hour coming up, Joining me right now, an author at The Blaze, a guy whose podcasts I just, I just love, and his, his pieces on The Blaze actually rip a hole in the roof of our traffic every time he posts one, Matt Walsh of the MattWalshBlog.com. Matt, it's been too long. How are you? I'm doing great. Great to, great to be on with you, Mike. I appreciate it. Now, have you laid out a pick that you would prefer for uh, President Trump to name on the Supreme Court lottery tonight? Um, you know, I, 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 I can't say I have a, a preference because, and here's what's going to happen is that the one prediction I will make is that, uh, as soon as it's announced within about 45 seconds, you're going to have Twitter's going to be filled with, uh, the people who are, you know, the biographer of this person who are experts on his life. And, uh, uh, but I'm not, I'm not an expert on any of the people on the short list. I've, I've looked into them briefly. But uh, once the pick is made, you know, then I'll maybe give me a day or two and I could have a, a well-formed opinion on it. But I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on these people. I just, you know, I don't follow uh, all the different federal judges and everything. I don't, I don't follow their careers very closely. I must admit, although I know that uh, a lot of people on Twitter are, are probably more knowledgeable than me, apparently. is uh, Out of that list of 21 and not, not even this three, is there somebody you would have preferred? Because I, I have a person who's not in the favorites that I would have loved to have seen, but I wonder, Matt, since I, yeah, well, I like so I, much of your opinions. I, I could tell you that of the ones that have been named, I guess, from what I've read, just other people's commentary, it looks like Gorsuch would be the, would be the preferable pick. Uh, but outside of the names that I've heard floated around, uh, I mean, I, I thought Mike Lee would have been a great, I mean, look, I would have, I would have loved uh, to see Ted Cruz pick for the Supreme court. I never thought that was going to happen, but because of, I think he'd be a great Supreme Court justice, and also just the the utter explosion on the left would be hilarious to watch. But uh, Mike Lee, uh, Senator Mike Lee from Utah, I think would have been a great pick. Uh, but it doesn't look like that's at all in the, in the cards. Yeah, I like Mike Lee a lot. I don't think uh, the way the way the attacks have been going on on conservatives in Utah lately. I think he's he's needed in Utah, and Cruz I think would have been my pick. And I think Cruz solves two problems. Number one, it takes Ted Cruz out of a position where he's one of the least liked guys in the Senate and puts him as a strict constitutionalist for decades on the Supreme Court. And I think Texas would elect another conservative. So I I think it would have been a win-win, but uh, Donald Trump apparently isn't going to go that direction. And I'm with you on Gorsuch. I think he's the favorite. From talking to uh, blue senators, as I have been doing lately, they seem to say he's the inside track too, but they're still gonna, they're still gonna hold things up as long as they can and try and make life difficult. Yeah, they're gonna try to hold it up, but but that's why. I mean, there shouldn't even be any discussion about you know the so-called nuclear option and blo- and preventing the the Democrats from doing a filibuster. I mean, they did it to the Republicans. There shouldn't even be a, a question about whether or not the Republicans do that. Of course, they're gonna. They need to do. They have a majority, so do what they need to do procedurally wise 
to uh, to to make sure they get the, the nomination through. I mean, it's you know, it's it's uh, there, there's no sense in even pretending that the Democrats have already they've already opened this door, and so Republicans will just walk through it and say, "Thank you very much for opening it for us." Well, there will be some foot stomping. There's still very there's a lot of hurt feelings over Merrick Garland and the fact that that um, Mitch McConnell actually stood up and prevented that from happening. And Chuck Schumer and all of them straight down the line are not going to let this go without some kind of a smack to it. But it could be fun to watch is how I look at it. Can we talk, um, can we talk about the, uh, the executive action and how this immigration change is viewed by you, especially in terms of what the president has said and what he's doing to protect and help Christians from the Middle East trying to get here? Yeah, I like it. I, I like what he's done. I thought that, uh, as a lot of people said, how it was uh, rolled out on Friday night and Saturday was clumsy, to put uh, to put it mildly. And he's got to do a lot better there. Um, and the reports that, I don't know how accurate they are, but the reports are that he didn't clear this with any of his top cabinet officials. He didn't clear it with any of the lawyers. It was just him and Bannon and and they, they came up with this thing. That's not like that's not going to pass muster. I mean, you, you have you have uh, experts around you, people who know this stuff, and he needs to consult with them. But um, leaving that aside, you know, if you look at the actual text of the executive order, which I'm sure 98, 99 percent of the protesters have not. But if you look at it, it's you know, it's not nearly as extreme as it's made out to be. It's a huge step down from what he talked about in the campaign. It's not a Muslim ban. And so I think it's just some really basic uh, really logical steps that he's taking to make sure that we keep Americans safe. And unless you have a political axe to grind, which of course most people do, but the, the only way you could have a problem with it from what I can see is if you have a political axe to grind, because if you don't and you look at it objectively, it's a, it's a pretty reasonable measure, I think. Well, you're right about uh, the, the fact that 97, 98% of the people out protesting have not read the the executive action and it's not that long it doesn't take that long to read it uh and i'd heard the same thing that trump had not cleared this with the various department heads uh, i do think they they stumbled on the green card exception especially when you look at the green card people how it's basically illegal for them to live anywhere else but in the united states they are permanent residents here so once we've cleaned that up i would hope that people would understand this is this is a good thing. And I know you as a guy, a man of faith and a Christian who follows, who follows what's been happening in the Middle East. Uh, I, I've talked with bishops from, uh, from Iraq and from Syria who basically had their entire populations wiped out or moved as, as refugees because of the persecution. And for Donald Trump to say we're going to be giving preference to those Christians who have not had that treatment kind of makes me feel good for them. And I hope it does happen. But then I hear Whoopi Goldberg saying that th she's comparing this to the Taliban by giving this kind of preference to one one religion is the same thing the Taliban is doing. I don't know if you'd heard that. That just came out today. But it's it's infuriating to me because you're overlooking the the basic near genocide of Christians in the Middle East over the last seven, eight years. Yeah, and I don't even think it's a near genocide. I think it's an it's a it certainly is a genocide. You look at some of these, uh, and, and these are uh, this is a part of the world. These are countries where Christianity has existed uh, for you know close to two thousand years, and and in some of these countries now it's all but wiped out. Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, 
uh, Egypt. You know, look at what happened to the Coptic Christians in Egypt. So these are these are this is an ancient faith in these parts of the world, and it's been all but wiped out. They've been driven from the homeland. They've been they've been they've been put in, uh, they've been arrested. They've been tortured. They've been martyred. I mean, and uh, and we happen to have a president the last eight years, Obama, who not only indirectly facilitated this persecution by arming and training and funding the very people who are carrying out the persecution, but then ignored it. You know, it, every once in a while he would make mention of religious minorities being persecuted. But, no, it's particularly Christians who are being persecuted. And I say, it's, you know, Whoopi Goldberg and all the rest of them, if, if Obama or if Trump had, uh, had said we're going to give prefer- preference to uh, homosexuals who are persecuted, which they are being persecuted over there, um, then I guarantee you, you, wouldn't hear a, you wouldn't hear a single pipe. You, you wouldn't hear a peep from, from, from these people of, of protest. They, their problem is not that, oh, we're giving preference to one particular group. It's they don't like the group that's getting the preferential treatment. And again, I don't consider it preferential treatment. It's there are certain groups of people who are being particularly persecuted. And so when we're thinking about which refugees are we going to allow in, let's look first at those groups. So again, I think that's pretty logical. Yeah, it makes sense to me. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right to point out the hypocrisy of the left when they say, hold on a second, you can't do this, but we would like you to do that. Uh, I always say, the argument I always give to people is, well, why don't we just treat the gays as, as they are treated in the Middle East, if you think that's the way equality should be dealt with? Well, hold on a second. We're not going to allow them to jump off buildings the way they do in Syria and Iraq so much. Uh, that's not just going to happen. And now, Matt, you posted a new story on The Blaze, a new piece uh, just a couple hours ago called Yes, Of Course Christians Can Support Trump's Immigration and Refugee Policies. Uh, this is a reaction to some on the left who have said it is unchristian-like what Donald Trump is doing. Have you had any reaction from the left on this? Yeah, well, it's the same. It's just this really interesting phenomenon that happens that the very same people who most of the time uh, will mock and deride the Bible, say it's a collection of primitive fairy tales, uh, the ones who will, who will absolutely lose it if you try to introduce the Bible into any discussion of public policy, uh, these very same people, every once in a while, when it suits them, will appeal to that book of primitive fa- fairy tales, quote-unquote, as some kind of moral authority. And that's what they're doing here. But the problem is that they haven't, and I think this is probably the case for 99.9% of them, uh, they haven't taken the time to read the book. And I know they haven't taken the time to read it because if they took the time to read it, they, number one, they wouldn't speak so ignorantly about it, but, but they also wouldn't have the contempt for it that they do because if you actually sit down and read the Bible, then you'll see all the great, beautiful truths that are in there. So they just, you know, it, the Bible is, this is why people spend their entire lives studying theology and they never even, you know, you can, you can just barely crack the surface of it if you spend your whole life studying it. Um, that there's it's it's very complex and you have to understand these things in their context you can't just take sing, single sentences and words and pull them out and then apply them to whatever debate you happen to be having so there is a lot of stuff in the bible about helping the orphans helping widows helping the hungry clothing the uh clothing the naked and, and so on and so forth but most of those things are exhortations telling us what to do individually and personally of our own accord of our own free will saying you go out and feed the hungry and clothe the naked you do it it's not it's not saying go appeal to the government to come up with a policy so that you know they can take from someone else and give to this person so that you don't have to that's not what it is so if people really are concerned about refugees and we should be 
there are things that we individually can be doing to help them. I mean, there are charities and organizations that you could be donating to at a minimum to help these people. And if you're not doing that, but you are accusing conservatives of being being Nazis because they don't want to just fling open the doors and let everybody in, well, then that tells me that you're, you know, you're, you're being disingenuous at, at best. Well, you bring up, a, a, first of all, I, I don't want to skip over so many great points from Matt Walsh, and this is why I love listening to your podcast on The Blaze and, and reading the stuff you do. But you, you talk about the fact that it is a direction for individual action. When you read the lessons in the Bible, it says you, you as a person should get out and do this. It's not saying a government should be doing this. It's saying individuals should be taking taking action and being part of the solution. Matt, you have a channel on theblaze.com. I encourage people to go to theblaze.com and and click on the channel button. You can follow me, of course, but you'll get much more sensible commentary like you're hearing from Matt Walsh. You just click on his picture and then you follow him and you'll always be updated with the stuff that he's writing or uh, putting out on his podcast. Thanks for jumping in today, Matt. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Great conversation. Appreciate it. Take care. Uh, When we get back, uh, I need to look at a a couple more of the strange things. Matt talked about something really important. He talked about individuals should do something. It may shock you, but an MSNBC anchor is actually, actually doing something along the lines of what Matt Walsh just mentioned. And I'll share that with you next on The Buck Sexton Show with Michael Pelka sitting in for my friend Buck. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show. It is the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Opelka sitting in for Buck Sexton. Before we get out of here today, we're going to talk to Dr. Zudi Jasser. And uh, he is one of just one of a number of uh, scholars in this country who understand the dilemma that that many people have when dealing with questions about uh, Islam and how it fits in in this nation and what we're really dealing with when we try and understand people who are uh, devout followers of Islam and those who would pervert Islam and turn it into uh, this radical terror organization. So I can't wait to get to Zudi Jasser and talk to him and also see if I can get his Supreme Court pick out of him. We just wrapped up talking to uh, Matt Walsh. And Matt talked about the, the way that uh, the left has latched on to Christianity in reference to the executive order from Donald Trump about, about the, uh, the immigration and saying it's unchristian what they're doing. You can't do this. Jesus would not have done this. And I saw signs at the protest with the WWJD. And Matt brought up the fact that how ironic or how hypocritical that some of the same people will also say, hold on a second, that that same Bible from which they are drawing quotes about what you should do and how you should treat people, uh, that same Bible is fiction. And so Matt has, uh, has put out a brilliant story on that and and he pointed out that it really is about individual individual action that you should do something I should do this you should do that it's not about directing a government to do something 
It never was. It was about personal responsibility for our fellow man. So do you do something? Do you do anything? Maybe you fund something. Maybe you actually spend Saturdays at a shelter or you, you, you do something with Meals on Wheels, something. Well, one of the big names that I have criticized on, on many occasions has actually come out and said that she's doing something. And I, I have to stand up and, and give a tip of my, my Blaze baseball cap to Mika Brzezinski. Yeah, I know. Mike, you've posted many videos mocking Mika. I have. I have challenged her on some of her statements. I have also uh, ridden the train from New York to Washington with Mika and Joe and had lovely conversations with them. And though we disagree on many things, we can agree on things. And that's what I encourage all of you to do. Find the common ground we have and then work out to the fringes. Start where we agree. Well, Mika Brzezinski and I agree on, on doing something that drives, that's driven from within. Now, Mika announced on MSNBC's Morning Joe that uh, she is on the board of the United Nations Human something, uh, the UNHCR, the High Commissioner for Refugees. And she said that she is in the process of trying to adopt a Syrian family. I applaud you, Mika Brzezinski. And where is the support for what Glenn Beck and the, the people um, among this audience who have supported the Nazarene Fund? Where is the support and the mention for them? I know Glenn won't go out and say, hey, media, look what I did. But they're quietly doing it. Hundreds Hundreds of families, refugees rescued and saved. Here's Mika talking about it yesterday. Part of a statement from the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. It reads, in part, quote this, the United States is a global leader in supporting those forced to flee their homes. But now our commitment to refugees is in jeopardy. The rest of the world is watching as this executive order places us on the wrong side of history as the United States stands down from its commitment to freedom and hope. We strongly believe that refugees should receive equal treatment for protection and assistance and opportunities for resettlement settlement, regardless of their religion, nationality, or race. I should note that I'm on the board of UNHCR, and I'm also in the process of trying to adopt a Syrian family, as we put it all on the table here. I hope Mika follows up on that. I would like to see the day when she announces that she has, in fact, adopted that family. I will salute her then again. But again, this is about individuals, not about countries if you're talking about faith. We've got around the corner Zudi Jasser and a few more issues to deal with. Uh, this is uh, the Buck Sexton Show. What have I got to cover? Uh, we got an update on the Supreme Court picks and uh, something else. I forgot. I got something else you want to hear. I'll share it with you next. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
is the Buck Sexton Show. Michael Pelka with you on the Blaze Radio Network. And again, tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, you can join me right here. We will be live. We will be previewing the uh, pick from President Trump for the Supreme Court seat that is open. And just so you know, apparently, uh, and this is being covered just about everywhere, but my friend and Buck's friend, Emily Zanotti, from uh, Heat Street is telling us there are two, two of the three who are on planes right now, right now headed to Washington, D.C. You have two of the three selections. You want to know who it is, don't you? You want to know. Have you voted in my poll? Have you actually jumped online and uh, voted in my poll about who it's going to be? Well, why should I tell you the answer if you're not going to if you're not going to go out and uh, get online and, and tell me who you think it's going to be. Gorsuch is on a plane, and it looks like Hardiman is on a plane. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have a judge who's already in town. But who will Donald Trump hand the rose to tonight? No, that's not happening. Yes, it's, it sounds a little bit like a reality TV show. And uh, it will be. It will be. It's, it's all part of the disruptor we know in Donald Trump. So stay tuned. I, I'm still favoring Gorsuch. I would, be, I would be so happy. I would be doing handsprings if Donald Trump surprised everybody and said, hold on a second, it's Ted Cruz. But, you know, I, I can just dream. I, I, I don't have anyth- anything to base that on. So we will watch tonight together. We will, we will vote uh, online up until such time. The current polling is uh, 7% for Pryor, 51% for Gorsuch, 22% for Hardiman, and 20% of you don't care and don't know, which is okay. That means you're just living in your own little insulated world. So it's just fine. It's just fine with me. Everybody relax. Now, we're going to talk to Zudi Jasser just around the corner. I, I'm kind of jud, uh, you know, jiggering the schedule here, rejiggering things to make it so that we can talk a little longer than at the very end of the show with Zudi Jasser, so we'll bounce out a little bit earlier. Some other breaking news that's happening around the world. 60 Minutes has announced that Oprah Winfrey is going to join the network as a special contributor. She said in the statement something about being able to... Uh, broaden the conversation. I just wonder if she's going to be doing her segments in the woods like her commercials for the Weight Washer thingy. Is that really going to happen? And remember remember Warren Buffett, one of the richest guys in the world, the guy who was, who was supporting Hillary Clinton and talked about how important Hillary Clinton's election would be for America? Well, guess who just bought $12 billion in stocks since President Trump was elected. Warren Buffett. I wonder, if, if Hillary was elected, would he have been buying $15 billion or $20 billion? I don't know. I doubt it. But he claims to have bought, since the election, $12 billion of common stock. And I'll bet you he's made some money on it. That's what, Warren Buffett doesn't see political parties when he's making money. But apparently he did see something 
when he talked about Hillary Clinton. He was really behind Hillary Clinton, unless, of course, he can make a buck. So there it is. Uh, one other story that we t- we're going to talk about the immigration of Zudi Jasser. And I want to remind you that there are 73 sitting Democrats who actually voted to ban visas from some Muslim countries. That law, which was uh, precipitated by or sparked by the 9-11 attacks, the Advanced Enhanced Border Security and Visa Reentry and Reform Act, which had the support of 16 Democratic senators, 57 Democratic House members who are still serving this country. They voted for it. They voted for restrictions on people who came from countries that we determined to be risks or sponsors of terror. You have people who are still in office. Cantwell from Washington. Cardin from Maryland. Carper from my state in Delaware. Markey. Menendez. Murray. Nelson. Reed. Bernie Sanders. Chuck Schumer. Debbie Stabenow. Ron Wyden. Dick Durbin, Diane Feinstein, uh, Pat Leahy, and of course Udall out of out of uh, New Mexico. You have a bunch of people in the House who voted for that 2002 bill. Sixteen sitting Democrats, including the minority leader, who voted for this bill. So anytime somebody tells you we need to we need to uh, get rid of Donald Trump's executive action, you need to say, oh, yeah, where did you stand on the 2002 bill? Because there are 73 of you still sitting in office who voted for it. That usually will stop the argument right then and there. Michael Pelka stepping aside. When we get back, I want to talk to Zudi Jasser. Zudi Jasser, one of the smartest guys in the free world, especially on the, on the issues we're facing Uh, And we're going to wrap up tonight's show and then prepare for the big show this evening, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. The offer of a franchise can only be made through delivery of a franchise disclosure document. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show. It's Michael Pelka sitting in for Buck Sexton. Buck will be back tomorrow, and in just a couple of hours, I will be back here live on the Blaze Radio Network at 7 p.m. Eastern as we prepare for Donald Trump, President Trump's first nomination to the Supreme Court. And I believe this is the first of a few. Uh, Mr. Trump is currently meeting with cybersecurity experts and expected to sign a new executive order. He is moving and grooving. He is signing executive orders at a rate that I think is making the left lose its collective mind. Joining us now, though, to wrap up a discussion on today's show and talk about a couple of different things, and i got to get his pick. Uh, Dr. Zudi Jasser, somebody you should follow on Twitter, and you should listen to his radio podcast, Reform This, on the Blaze Radio Network. A new episode kicks in Saturdays at noon. He is he's somebody I always get nervous when I run into Zudi Jasser or Dr. Jasser somewhere at a convention because I always feel like I'm stupid asking him questions. He just, you exude confidence, sir, and I'm, 
appreciative of you joining the conversation today about this very important subject of the executive orders and is this or is this not a Muslim ban? Is it racist? Is it what, what, what's going on? Well, first of all, welcome, Dr. Jasser. Well, thank you, Mike. And uh, boy, that's uh, I'm humbled by your compliment. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is not a Muslim ban. You know, th- that's absurd. Uh, there's nothing more American than fighting theocracy and recamming. I mean, we there is a bit of whiplash that's happened. And uh, I think the messaging probably could have been a little better. And we can sort of kibitz on what could have been done better in the last week as the president's been very busy. But the bottom line is, is there's fair critique and then there's critique that's being used by the identity left to, to sort of exploit Muslims for their own uh, political gamesmanship. And when you have Nancy Pelosi whispering into the ear of Congressman Andrew Carson as he's about to speak, tell them you're Muslim, tell them you're Muslim. You know, oh that means that what more do you want to expose the fact that the left basically wants to call this a Muslim ban that wants to say that America and the right are anti-Muslim when in fact there's nothing more pro-Muslim than saying, you know what, for too long we've been letting the the Iranian regimes of the world, the Saudis of the world, the Wahhabis speak for Islam, and now we're going to say, what, you know what, there's a battle inside the House of Islam, and America wants to stop the theocrats from coming here, but actually embrace freedom-loving uh, uh, secular Muslims that share our values. What's wrong with that? And that's all the, the recalibration and this pause is going to do. I, I, I'm sitting here stunned because I hadn't seen the, uh, the Nancy Pelosi video, and now I have to find it as soon as we wrap up here because I will be using that again tonight. It's such a great point you bring up. It's not about Muslims. It's about keeping those who would turn us into and turn the globe into a, a theocracy that is uh, the most extreme form of of Islam and as we know it's a violent form it's a it's a very radical form and it's not a friendly form of a religion it's it's something that i think would scare the tar out of Nancy Pelosi if she saw it in action which i don't think she ever has and that's what astounds me uh i i i don't understand ha, have you heard it all Dr. Jasser, we're talking to Dr. Zudi Jasser. Have you heard from Keith Ellison on this? Because he seems to have gone silent. I've seen almost nothing from him. Well, he's silent. Uh, that's why Andre Carson was probably, there's two Muslims in Congress, and uh, Andre and uh, Keith are the two. Uh, Keith's trying to, to become chair of the Democratic Party, and uh, that's sort of fallen to the wayside as audio has been released showing that he claimed that Middle East policy is driven by the Israeli boogeyman and uh, all these other uh, anti-Semitic comments that uh, he's made. Uh, so he's probably trying to lay low, but still, he's part of the identity left. I mean, when you have President Obama also weighing in yesterday, I mean, it's not even the ink isn't dry on the letter he left in the White House, and he's already trying to uh, 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 exploit the identity movement uh, to say that this is about attacking all Muslims. And, uh, you know, there should be no better sign. I mean, I'm also disappointed with Senator McCain and others on the right that are saying, well, this was a horrific thing to do because it's going to inflame our enemies. When you have a letter from the president, from the lead theocrat in Iran, giving us lectures about freedom and saying that this is going to embolden ISIS. And here you have the leader of the largest free air, open air prison in the planet, which is Iran, telling us, and they've taken no refugees. Saudi Arabia has taken no refugees, and yet they don't have blowback in the Muslim community. But yet we have to worry about a simple pause. I agree. The messaging is important, but it's not about what inflames ISIS. 
I like to see what, what makes the freedom-loving Muslims love us more. That's what I want to see. But to say that it inflames ISIS, that actually probably means we're more on target in what we're doing. That's a great point. And that, that point should not be lost on anybody. If this executive order inflames ISIS, we're doing it right. We're not doing it wrong. Dr. Zudi Jasser is the author of a book called A Battle for the Soul of Islam. And I couldn't think of a title more appropriate to what this what this executive order has brought out. This does appear to highlight exactly what your book talks about. And it's it's identifying the the loving Islam versus the radical terrorist Islam and showing that there is a battle going on all over the world for it. And we're trying to prevent it from coming here to America. And as you said, the identity loving left can't seem to grasp that. Is is there a a point at which you think we can make that happen? Well, it's going to take sort of a progress, you know, a a progressive uh, or progress, I mean, uh, regularly a discussion nationally to start to shift the conversation from all being about terrorism, about extremism. I mean, the entire axis has been about countering violent extremism. That's just a tactic. And that feeds into this mantra, well, Muslims are always with us and the the radicals are just extremists. No, there are 20, 30 percent that are Islamists. They might even be nonviolent. But the the nonviolent Islamism is a precursor for violent Islamism, no different than nonviolent homophobia. Nonviolent anti-Semitism is a precursor for violent anti-Semitism. So we have to shift the axis in homeland security. And the other interesting thing for the identity left is they can't say, well, embrace your local mosques, embrace your Muslims to work with homeland security and take the positive and say, well, then therefore we can't say that, well, some mosques are the problem or some Islamic movements are the problem. You can't have it both ways and say, ignore Muslims, but yet embrace them in, in, in homeland security and give them grants from government money unless you have a way to vet them, just to vet against the caliphate ideas, against any Islamic state or Sharia role in government are ideas we should bet against. Well, it's uh, it's great to point out the hypocrisy and the contradictions that exist, and that's what I think helps people learn more than anything. Dr. Zudi Jasser is the president of the American Islamic Reform for Democracy. You can see more about it at AIFDemocracy, AIFdemocracy.org. You can also follow him on Twitter, Dr. Zudi Jasser. I'll tweet out a link to it. Uh, Dr. Jasser, do you have a a pick in the Supreme Court roulette tonight? Do you have someone you think it's going to be? That's fascinating. I I hope he, he, you know, we're filling in Scalia's seat. So uh, I'm hoping uh, I've not uh, done my homework on the final two to know which was more of an originalist. But uh, uh, there is nothing more necessary on this court than filling that ninth seat with an originalist uh, uh, that will not uh, be an activist judge, but rather and originalist. So that's my, my two cents. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And again, you know, thank you for jumping in here, but you never talk about it, but thank you for your service to this country in the U.S. Navy as lieutenant commander. It's, uh, it's something I never hear mentioned about you, but it's something we should salute you for. Thank you, sir. Well, anytime. I appreciate it. Uh, it's so key in this battle is, you know, the radicals will die for their cause, and the Muslims that should work with us are those that would die to be American, and that's what I'm doing. Thank Beautiful you. words. Thank you, sir. Michael Pelka, stepping out of here. I enjoy this audience more than I can tell you. You're almost as much fun as the stunt brainiacs who gather at 7 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, on Puro Pelka. 
We are going to be back in just a few hours to talk about the pick. I still think it's my my nominee, Justice Gorsuch. He's the favorite on my online poll. We'll find out in a few short hours. Testudo, my friends. Testudo. Thanks, Buck. We'll see you back here tomorrow. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.